With all these changes going on, one of the things that I thought would be good to, to teach on is, is unity. 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 How many people have seen that video, the YouTube video? Come on, raise your hand. Chappelle, David Chappelle. We punches him in the head with the unity ring. Come on. You've seen it, haven't you? That's good. You shouldn't be watching that. It's all kinds. I wanted, to sh- I wanted to show it in church. I couldn't get through like five seconds of it without like a bad word, language, issue, something really bad coming out. You should be watching that. Goodness gracious. And I wanted to show that clip so bad because it's just so funny. It's so inappropriate, though. There's just no way I even could show it and ask for forgiveness. But, um, but I want to start out. I want to read this scripture because... When I started looking at unity, teaching on unity, it's a lot of change going on in the church. You might not be perceiving that or feeling that, but there really is. We're excited about the change. I thought, well, we need to, we need to unify. We need to make sure we're all on the same page. And so um, I found the scripture, and I found like tons of sermons talking about unity using the scripture. And it's, it's John 17, 20 to 26. It's, Jesus high, it's the end of Jesus' high priestly prayer just before, oh, we're back, just before just before he's killed, okay? It's just before he's arrested, he's betrayed by his disciples, and this is his prayer. It's kind of broken up into four parts, and the last part is what everyone preaches on when they want to convict you of being a unified church, of being together. And so I read it, and I was going to preach on the same thing. If you have one of these water Bibles, it's a holy Bible. Um, We have these back there. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one of these home with you. We're a big fan of the Bible. We love the person who wrote it, and we believe every word that's in it. And so if you don't have a Bible, just please, please, please go back to the table back there and take one. They're free. But if you're following along with me, it's John 17. It's on page 903 in the Water Bible, the Living Water Bible by Crossway, right here. This is what it looks like. It's back there in the corner. Okay, but since the screen's up, I'm just going to read through this. Verse 20, 17, 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they, may be all, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And then verse 25, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Okay, so when you read that text, I mean, what's the focus of it? I mean, what's the theme of this text when you read it? Just straight away. It's kind of obvious, right? Unity. Unity. Unity is. I mean, it's just the obvious thing. It's such an easy text to preach on. And you have lots of pastors, uh, you know, and lots of people writing commentaries on, you know, this is the night before Jesus was crucified. This is the last prayer before the Father. You know, I mean, and and, and if you look at the priority that he places on us being unified as a church, we have to take this seriously. Now, I'm all for unity. I really am. But I don't think that's the message of this text. And when I began to pray about it and look at it, I thought, you know, I really don't think 
that when Jesus was praying this prayer, that it, what he wanted us to think is that we really need to work at being unified. We really need to be unified as a church. We need to work towards that. That needs to be one of our mission statements, one of our goals as a ministry, as a church. And so I started thinking and praying about this and, and thinking, okay, I'm going this other direction now. I'm like, this is what the Lord's saying. This is good. I was praying in my office last night. I was going, and then I get this email from someone about how unity is what the Lord's placed on their heart tonight and how I need to speak on unity tonight. In our church, we need to be unified. All this stuff, like in the middle of my like sidebar, like going after this other idea, I'm like, oh, brother, where am I? Where's this coming from? And so it really confused me. So I think there is, God does want to speak to us about unity today. But what I feel what I feel like he wants me to, to teach is not, unity is not the goal. Unity is not something we work towards. Unity is something we either are or we're not. The goal of Jesus is for us to know his father's love. And that when we love the father, we will naturally be unified. I mean, think about it in your home. Like, I, I have all this with my boys all the time, because they're always fighting like cats and dogs. You know, and now that, like, MMA is out, it's become it's the fastest-growing sport, mixed martial arts, fastest-growing sport in the world. I'm loving it. I love it. It's on, like, CBS now, and it's a brutal sport. I agree. I know, Shannon, you're looking at Shannon, Ian's shaking his head at me. I know that. But my boys, all of a sudden, they're getting each other into, like, a full Nelson figure parts, you know, hitting each other and stuff. Like, settle down. There's no unity there. Where's the love? But I start talking to them about unity, right? And we all do this. For the Fowlers, it's been loyalty. We need to learn to be loyal to each other. We're a family. We're unique. There's no other Fowlers like us in the world. We need to be together. And so you teach them about loyalty. You teach them about unity. And what happens? Well, it lasts for about like four or five minutes, maybe. And then they just revert to old behavior. And, and, and I started thinking about that when I was writing this talk. I was like, well, if they loved each other more, then they wouldn't fight as much. They would naturally desire to, be, to care for each other, to be loyal to each other. But if you get it the other way around, it doesn't happen. It can't happen. If you strive for unity, you might be unified, but because you don't love each other, at the first collision with difficulty or opposition, you'll break apart. I'm going to show you how God teaches us that, this in this passage. And I think that, you know, in youth ministry, and again, we, we wave this banner of unity, like somehow, if we can be unified, everything will be okay. And it's kind of like the trump card for having crappy ministry or small ministry. We're all unified. We're no, it's like you're oneified because there's no one in there. There's no one with you. We have all these churches together. Yeah, but no one's with you. Because there's, that's not, unity is not something, it's not a goal that we should have as a church. We either are unified or we are not unified. But because, and I'm going to show this, because, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but because the way that we are unified is by the Spirit, it means that we can't make it happen on our own anyway. I mean, think about what a hodgepodge mix we are. The differences we're trying to come together under. I mean, we're, we're so different. It would be foolish to think that somehow we could be unified if we just chose to be. There's no way we can do it without Jesus. And, and again, like, well, there's, again, if unity was our goal... Well, then we would be like unifying with cults. I mean, cults are really unified. I mean, really unified. They're sharing wives, they're having kids all over the place, drinking Kool-Aid. I mean, just to be together, just for the sake of unity. And there's movements, liberal movements within the church. We just need to love everyone. We need to be unified. And that's their banner. Look, Jesus wants us to be unified. Yeah, but if our values are all different, 
then, then that's not unity, that's tolerance. That's relativism. That's pluralism. And we know that God doesn't want that. And again, this text says all this. And so again, unity can't be our goal as a church. Unity is not our goal as a church, as the church of Jesus Christ. Our goal needs to be Jesus, loving Jesus more, loving God more. And unity is only a good thing. I'll say this. Unity is only a good thing if what you're unifying around becomes valuable to the degree that it changes lives. Okay, unity is only valuable if it has impact. Again, like think about like the war with allied forces. Like when we unify with other forces, we have we can attack from different places. We have different vantage points, and there's an advantage in that, isn't there? So that makes sense. Again, like when you look at different other things, like whenever athletic teams get together, it's all the stories. When they unify, when they're together, they're focused on a common value, a common goal. They come together. When they're unified, the more unified they are. They accomplish these things. And lastly, you know, you can't you know, tag team wrestling. Where, where, where's, there's no unity there. You're just left one-on-one. No tag. Come on, folks. It's 10 o'clock. You got to wake up. I don't like tag team wrestling. I like MMA, not tag team wrestling. It's all fake. All that fake stuff I don't like. But, um, but it seems that Jesus' prayer reflects the same kind of power that is present when Christians are unified. So when Jesus is praying, we see that there is an importance in being unified and that there's a power in being unified. And that when we are unified, the world seems to take notice and it changes. But as I was reading this, it was on my computer screen and I just happened to read it backwards. Like you turn the record backwards and you get the real meaning of the song. I started with like verse 26. And I read 26 and then I read 25. 24, 23, where you get the picture. And the the meaning of the text changed to what I think is more accurately expressed from Jesus, what Jesus wants us to come away with. And for Jesus and the Father, there was no misunderstanding. But I think as a church, we have misunderstood what this text is about. And so let's start back at verse 25. I'm just going to walk through this with us and show us what I think Jesus is wanting us to get from this. So in verse 25, oh, Oh, righteous father, that's the only time Jesus ever calls, that's the only time the Bible that phrase is, not that that's relevant. Even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these, and these the disciples know you, know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And what that really means is I made known to them you. Because in the, again, in the, in the Greek text, to know someone's name really means to know them, to really know them. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, or to make you known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The world does not know you is referring to the Jews. For, for us, it can, re- it can refer to, all, you know, in our context, the people who don't follow Jesus, but it's referring to the Jews. What separates the believers from the world, or the world, what separates the world from, the, from people who follow Jesus is this one reality, that they believe in Jesus, that they believe Jesus is from God, that the Father has sent Jesus. And we're going to see this come up again and again and again. Again, in John 8, just earlier in the chapter, it says, you are doing these things, uh, 8, 41 to 42, it says this, you are doing the things your own father does. And then the Jews respond, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. They're saying this to Jesus. Okay, And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, 
you would love me. For I came from God, from him, and now am here. I am not come on my own, but that he has sent me. And so Jesus, early in the chapter, is drawing this parallel that if you worship God the Father, and this is what challenges all world religions that say, we all worship the same God. In this text, we see Jesus saying, if you do worship God my Father, if it's the same God, then you will know that he sent me. The sign that you know and love God that is my father, is that you will believe that I am from him. If you don't believe that I am from him, then you can't be worshiping him. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a big statement that Jesus is making here. And it, and it finds itself at the end, the very last verse of this high priestly prayer, just before he's crucified. Heavy, big weight here, okay? And so there are lots of peoples that say that they love God, that there is a God, but they have a problem with Jesus. And they kind of brush him off. Because they're good, they help the poor, they minister to the sick, they do the same things that Christians do, so why can't we just be unified? Because Jesus' desire is not to unify us with the world. His desire is to unify us with the Father. Jesus did not come to bring peace to the world. He came to bring peace between us and the Father. Peace is another thing that people jack away out of proportion just for, it's comfortable, and they don't want to deal with the reality of this, this truth that Jesus is trying, you know? So again, because people are nice, because they're ministering to the poor, because they're vegans and, or tree huggers and they care for the universe or whatever, if they don't believe that Jesus is from the Father, <laughs> if they don't believe that Jesus is from the Father, then they aren't worshiping the same God. They aren't in love with the same God. They aren't doing it for the same God. No matter what they say, no matter what they're doing, when Jesus is saying, look, Father, here there are two groups. This is my translation. There are two groups of people down here I'm chilling with. One of them says, they know you. They know you. But they really don't. Because if they did, then they would believe you've sent me. And they would have the love that is between us. What's the connection? We're starting to see the connection, the point that Jesus is trying to make here. They would have the love that's between us. Whatever it looks like they have, it's not what we have, God. It's not what we have, Father. Because what I've given them comes from you. Like I said, they don't know you because they don't know me. And then the other group of the disciples that he's revealed, that he's brought into a relationship of love with him through the Father. People who don't know God cannot know love. Let me say that again. First John 4, 7 and 8 talks about this too. People who do not know God, cannot know love. It says God is love, 1 John 4, 8. God is love. How do we know God? How can we be in relationship with God? Only through Jesus. So whatever people profess, whatever it looks like they have, it's not the love that Jesus desires for us to have with the Father. It's not the love, it's not a kind of love that you can build your life on. It's not a relationship that will never let you down. The reason that Jesus desires to make us known to the Father and the Father known to us is so that we can experience the Father's love. That's what this whole passage is about. The same love that Jesus experienced from the Father. It says that the love you have loved me with may be in them. That I will be in them. It is this love relationship that all of our life should rest on. Not our jobs, not our wealth, our marriages, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, all those things can't give us the security and be the foundation for our life. Only the Father's love 
can empower us to be and do what we are supposed to be and do. Once this truth is established, once we understand that Jesus is from God, that we receive him and he is in us, and then we begin to experience the love relationship between the Father, guess what happens then? Unity. It just happens. Because we are unified perfectly with the Father. We're unified perfectly in Jesus Christ with the Father in a love relationship with him. And as a result, we are perfectly unified with each other through the same love relationship of Jesus Christ who's in me is also in you. Okay, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is going to open up a little bit. He starts right here. Your love for them, I want them to know. It's like this. It's like the love that we have, God, the love that we have, Father, I want them to know. That's the most important thing I want them to know. And he says it at the very end of his high priestly prayer. But then now you go up to verse, this next verse 24, and he opens it up a little. He says this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. What's this all about? Well, this is... You know, Jesus basically saying, you know, Father, I want them to be with me in heaven forever. And earlier in 1423, he told them that when he leaves, he's going to go prepare a place for them. And whenever it's time, he's going to come back and get them. And Jesus wants us to know and be reminded that he is preparing a special place for each of us that know that he is sent from the Father. That each of us in a love relationship with God will be with him and the Father forever perfectly. That he will return for us. Jesus wants to be with you forever. Jesus wants to know that in this, know you and wants you to know him in the same way that he knows the Father. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that there will be a day whenever you are with him in heaven that you will know the Father's love like the Father's love has been poured out on Jesus. The, the intimacy that the Father and the Spirit and the Son had before the creation of the world, we will be a part of when we're in heaven. That's, that's freaking crazy good. I mean, that's like... Over the top. We can't even imagine what that's like. But that's what we're after here on earth. And the second part of the petition, Jesus says, I want them to see the glory you have given me before the foundation of the world. You know, earlier in chapter 10, Jesus tells the disciples that the Father loved him because he was obedient and would lay down his life for them. So running around in the disciples' head, and for the whole first century of the church, really, this idea of performance. If I do these things, then the Father will love me. Even though Jesus doesn't promote that, that's what's taken away. And we struggle with this idea that God will love us more if we do certain things. But he tells us, he tells us and he tells the disciples, I want them to come be with me and I want to be with them forever. And I want them to know this. It has nothing to do with the mission that they're on. It has nothing to do whether they're unified or not. It has to do with this, that I love them. I want them to know that you loved me before the creation of the world, before I died on the cross, before I was obedient, before I did a thing, you loved me. That was the foundation that allowed Jesus to be and to do who he was. He didn't do it and then get it. He had the love before. He had the foundation beforehand. And that allowed him to do what he did. And he wants us to know that. The primary, of the go- the primary goal of the disciples, this doesn't make sense, but it's what I feel like I should say, okay? The primary goal of the disciples was not obedience. It was identity. Our goal on earth is not missional. It's identity, Our goal is not to seek and save the lost. It's to know God's love and to love Jesus. It's a love relationship. Our main purpose 
on this earth is to fall in love with the Father and to know his love, period, end of story. Out of that comes unity. Out of that comes mission. Out of that comes the power of the Holy Spirit. Out of that comes everything that we're about. And Jesus says it. Plain as day in this scripture, he prioritizes his love relationship with, the God, with God the Father. We go up a verse and he says, and I want them to be with me forever because I love them to death. And I love them to death not because of anything they've done. In the same way, Father, that you love me before the creation of the world, I knew their name before the creation of the world. I knew that they belonged to me. You've given them to me. And I want them to know that I'm preparing a place to be with me forever, not because of anything they've done, but just because I love them. I, I mean, again, crazy freaking good. That's amazing. That's so hard for us to swallow, isn't it? It's so hard for us to believe that and to live in that. So we work so hard, and we just work ourselves to death. Again, don't hear me say that we're not called to be missional. You know, if you know me, you know I believe we're called to be missional. I believe that if we aren't missional as a church, we will be failing. We will be disobedient. Church, by definition, is missional. Individual, we are called to be missional but not at the expense of being relational in love with God the Father. Out of God's love, we become missional. Our identity as individuals and as the church comes not in what we do, but in who we are in love with and who we are loved by. Mission-driven Christians who are not grounded first in a loving relationship with God believe and communicate to the world that God's agenda is one of task orientation, is one of purpose and doing, rather than one of love. God so loved the world. While we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love for us. Think about all the core Bible verses that you've been beaten up with their whole life. They're all about God's love first. Verse 22 and 23, one up step more. One verse up ahead, two verses ahead. The glory that you have given me, and he's going to open up a little again here. He's going to open up a little wider. This we start hearing about a little unity. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, here we go, even as we are one, in them and you and me, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them as you have loved me. This is the verse everyone takes. To be, we got to be unified, because if we're unified, then the world will know that you've sent me. I want them to have what you have given me so they can be as we are. What's Jesus' desire? So that his desire is that they would be like us, Father. And we are one in unity, yes. How are we unified, though? By our love for each other. By our love, we are unified. God and Jesus are one through love. Perfect intimacy, perfect relationship. This can only happen with Jesus being in us by the power of the Holy Spirit in the same way that the Father and the Son were united. Why? Why would he want this? So that we may be perfectly one. And if we're perfectly one, what's he talking about? He's not talking about unity. He's talking about us being perfectly loving one another, that we would love each other like he loved the Father. Perfectly one in his language is, there's a, there's, the Greek word here is like a complete one. There's a completeness, a finality to it, like it will be in heaven. His desire is that we would love one another as we will love each other in heaven. And his language of the Father, they were one. What that meant was that they were perfect in intimacy and relationship and love. His desire for us, perfect in intimacy, relationship, and love. And when that happens, unity just happens. It just naturally happens. 
Why? So the world may know that you have sent me. And why is it important to know that Jesus has been sent by the Father? We started with this. Because if people believe that Jesus is sent by the Father, guess what? They're part of the club. They get to go to heaven. Not burn in hell. It's a great deal. It comes back to not unity, but love. And if the world sees our love for each other, what happens is they will, it says, Scripture says, they will believe then that Jesus has been sent by the Father. If they believe Jesus has been sent by the Father, that's the separating factor. That's the, that's the issue. Everyone who believes Jesus is sent by the Father are the ones he has called to be his own, part of his kingdom. It's why, yeah, yeah, I said that. And so what happens when they know this? They will also know that you love them just like the way you love me. So the world knows that Jesus sent me, and then what's he end with? That they would know that you love them. That they know your love. Again, it comes back to the world knowing the Father's love. To us knowing the Father's love so that the world would know the Father's love. So Jesus and the Father, Jesus and us, and now Jesus is wanting the world to know about the Father's love. It's, about, it's all about the Father's love. That's what this text is about. You want to be, I'm going to get ahead of myself. So Jesus' prayer for unity comes out of Jesus' desire for us to know his Father's love so we can love each other with the same love. And in doing so, others will know that Jesus must be from God. And if they know that they believe that they are, I just said all this, never mind. Verse 20, 21, I'm going to end because we're out of time. I do not, I do not, okay, see how he's opening it up? Him and Jesus, Jesus and the disciples. Now it's Jesus wanting the world to know the Father's love. You see that? Boom, boom. See how it's just like playing the record backwards, baby? It makes sense now. It's about the Father's love, not unity. Okay, here we go. So he really opens it up here to everybody. Verse 20, 21 is where the fourth part of this prayer starts. I do not ask for these, I do not ask for these only, but also these, meaning these disciples. I'm not only asking you, Father, for these 12, for these disciples but also for those who will believe in me through the word, through their word. Who's that talking about then? Bam, right, us, all of us. Everybody who believes in Jesus through the word, okay? That they, guess what he wants us to be? One. And here's why. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. He just repeats himself. Because he doesn't want us to miss us. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's just repeating a factor. He's just, in the first two verses, he's just saying, look, I want everyone to know this. Not just the disciples. I want everyone who believes to be one. I want everyone to know that this is for them. And when they believe this, then they will be one. And when they become one, then people in the world will see that. And they'll know that, the only way that they're one is because I'm in them. And if they know that I'm the only reason that they're one, then they're going to believe that the Father sent me. And if they believe that the Father sent me, well, guess what? That means they're part of my family. And I'm preparing a place for them. And I want them to know that they don't have to do anything to earn that place. That I love them desperately. Before the creation of the world, in the same way the Father loved me, I love them. That's what this is about. That, in a nutshell, is what this whole time is about. It's not about unity. I mean, it is. You can see how it kind of is. But it's about us knowing the Father's love. Unity comes from our love for God. With that as our foundation, we are able to love each other. 
And people see that. And they're drawn to it. People see that when they come to River City Church. They see our love for the Father and our love for each other. They come in here. They don't remember the worship. They don't remember the speaker. They might remember the testimonies. But what they will leave remembering is our love for the Father, our love for each other. And they'll be drawn to that. And they'll, be, they'll begin to believe that Jesus is alive, that he's in them, that they're different. And they'll want that. And they'll start to believe in Jesus. And their heart becomes open to a reality of a love that they've never experienced, that they thought they knew. And on this reality, Jesus says, build your life like I have built mine on the Father's. Like we are one, I want you to be one with us. So unity, the bottom line is, if people come into our church, or they look at your family, if they don't see unity, it's not because we're not trying to be unified. It's because we don't love the Father. I mean, the antithesis is true. If we love the Father, if we're loving the Father, we know the Father's love, then we're naturally going to promote that unity that was, that's in us with the Father. If we don't know the Father, and we're going through the motions, and we're working, 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 trying to be unified, trying to promote something that we're not, people see that. I don't want to be a church like that. I don't want to be a person like that. I want to be in love with Jesus. I want to be in love with the Father to the degree that people's natural reaction to me is, is wanting his love, is wanting his life. In Romans 8, I'm going to end with this. And some of the most theological, deep language that comes from Paul in the middle of Romans, it's basically a verse in 8, 15 to 17 that says, um, for you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The main function of the Holy Spirit is for, for him to draw us, to draw our spirit, to draw us into the intimacy that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have. That's his number one function. It's not to bring healing. It's not to move in, you know, to do signs and wonders. That's, those are all byproducts of love. His function, his desire is for us to know the Father's love. And Paul talks about that in this very intense section in the middle of Romans. This is the bottom line, he says, that he would unite us with the Father, not as aliens, but as sons. Now if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Let's stand. This morning, we want to give opportunity for people, you know, more than anything, I want you to be unified today. No, I'm just kidding. If you left today not knowing the Father's love, it would be a, it would be a sad thing. Life is too hard and too messy and too difficult to be without his love, to have any other thing in our life. He has created us. Before the creation of the world, he knew and knows you 
and wants you to know his love. If you have never experienced the Father's love, if you've never heard the Father say, or there's an assurance about his love for you, if you've always been a doer, I believe all the right things, but you wonder, does God love me? Am I, am I one of the people that he's building a place for? Now, I just really encourage you during ministry time today, in about 15 minutes or so, to come down front and just ask, ask him to tell you that. Ask him to tell you that. One of the scariest questions I ever asked God was this. What do you really think about me, God? What do you really think about me? I mean, to know what the God of the universe thinks about you is a big deal. And most of us have been working so hard to please him, to earn our place in heaven, to ensure that we have a big house. We go on mission trips. We do all these different things. We minister to the poor. All the time, he's wanting us to hear one message from him, and that is, I love you. You belong to me. Nothing you can do can separate you from my love. In the same way that I love Jesus, I love you. In the same intimacy and relationship that I have with Jesus, I desire to have with you. And that's his message for us this, this morning. So we're going to move the first four rows of chairs. Just off to the side real quick. And we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. We do this every week. If you're a visitor, this might be something that's different. That's totally fine if you want to just watch or you can participate where you are. But we believe that there are three elements to our worship service. And the first one is worship. The second one is teaching of the word. And the third one is allowing God to minister to us, to speak to us, to to impress on our hearts what he's taught us in our minds. And that we, so we give, him, we give him space to do that. And so if you would like to know God's love or to give him a chance to tell you how he feels about you or to hear that he loves you or to experience his love, I don't know, he, he deals with us all differently. He deals with us all differently. But you should come forward and just, again, the model of ministry, that what we do is we ask people to close their eyes so they're not distracted, stick out their hands like they're receiving a gift. But you don't have to do that. It lets our prayer ministers know that, that you want prayer. And we believe it's like a demonstration to God that, you know, I want what you have to offer. As Christians, it's sometimes awkward to admit, well, I've never heard God say that to me. I've been a Christian for 30 years or 20 years. I'll tell you this. If you were with our church the first year, you heard maybe 50 testimonies of people who have been Christians for 20 and 30 years coming to experience God's love for the first time. Week after week, people come forward. I never, I was, I've been a Christian my whole life, but only now have I experienced God's love. If you haven't experienced, experienced God's love, you haven't known that he loves you, I would just encourage you to come forward for prayer today. We invite the Holy Spirit to come. And again, it's not about what you feel. It's a journey that we're on with God, allowing him to have space to touch us, to show us that he loves us. So why don't we fill up the space right here. If our prayer ministers could come forward, that'd be great. If you're on the balcony, you can come forward, you can. You can stay where you are if you want. And we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, to allow God's love to come, to speak to us. Again, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is in us when we become a believer, but that he is also with us, is what Luke tells us. He's in us and he's with us. And what we're asking is the Holy Spirit would come and be with us, to empower us, to speak to us to bring us into the Father's presence. You know, we have a soaking house every Tuesday night, and there's a number of different ones. You can call the office to find out about them. Where, what, for two hours, all they do is just listen for God's voice. 
to hear what God, how God thinks about them. And there's amazing stories that have come out of this time, this soaking time. You can go on a website and find out about it, but I would just encourage you to call the office. And they spend two hours just, just in God's presence, worshiping and just being with Him, allowing His love to wash over them. And sometimes it takes weeks and even months for people to be still and hear His voice. And so for again, you might not feel anything today. You might not hear anything today. But know this, the Bible is clear. Jesus, more than anything else, wants you to know his Father's love. That's why he came. And if you don't, you're missing out. He wants you to know it more than anything. So let's pray. Father, we just, we desire more than anything to know your love. We want what you and Jesus have. We want the intimacy that the Father, the Spirit, and the Son have. And so, Father, we pray and we know that Jesus sits in heaven and that the way he is in us is by your Spirit. So, Father, many of us who have been a Christian for a long time have had your Spirit living in in us. We release, we pray that you would release him now, that that he would come alive in us in a way that we've, we've never known so that we can experience love that you have for us, you created us for. Father, we just confess our pride and we ask that you would humble us, that we would come as children with open arms wanting all that the Father has for us. That we, like Derek said, we're like running out of the schoolroom, excited to see our Father, that you would come and meet us, Jesus. Just come, Holy Spirit. We just pray that you pour them out, Father, that we would know your love. We just wait on you, Father.